Good morning. I love spring. We're in the middle of spring. And if April showers bring May flowers, we ought to have a boatload of flowers because we, we have had a boatload of rain this week. I love spring. I love everything about it. I love the smells of spring. I love the birds that sing in spring. I love the smell of fresh-cut grass. I love it all. Two, two things I don't like so much. One is pollen. Uh, I don't like spring pollen. And the other thing is spring cleaning, and we're going to talk about that today. In fact, that's the name of our message, because there's a story in the Bible where Jesus clears the temple. He kind of spring cleans the temple, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, if you're not into cleaning, and not everybody's into cleaning, I'm going to give you some content you're not going to get at any other church, because I discovered a really kind of cool story about some ways to uh, excuse um, the dirt in your house. I'm going to give you three of them. They had about ten, but I'm just going to give you the, the three I like the best. One, if your windows are dirty and your screens are a little bit dirty, then you simply say that you are going uh, with a natural UV protection and that uh, this dirt on your window is UV 15. That's what you are, uh, SPF 15. That's what you say. That is a brilliant thing to do. An another strategy, this article said, uh, is you have people coming over, you don't want to clean the whole house, so you have a junk room. One room you designate, hey, we're going to throw all of our stuff in this room, and you throw all your stuff in this room, and then when the people come over, you're showing them the house, you get to that room, but you really don't want to show it to them. You sort of rattle the door knob, and you make a growling sound, kind of when they're not looking, and you say, oh, I would show you this room, but killer doesn't like to be disturbed. Another great strategy. The third one, and kind of my favorite, is just don't dust. There's no Dusting is for chumps, no need in dusting. But when people come over, now you have to do something before people come over. You buy a decorative urn, and you place it on your, uh, your coffee table where all the dust is. And when people come in, and if you can kind of tell if they're noticing the dust, you say something to the effect of, I would have dusted, but this is where Grandma wanted her ashes scattered. See how that's going to play for you? That's really good. It, it not only is a great excuse for not dusting, it also will get people to leave pretty, pretty quickly because who's going to want to sit around Grandma's dust? All right, so um, we're looking at this story about Jesus clearing the temple, uh, a spring cleaning, if you will. Now, we're in this series called, this series called G Harmony, and the series is about Stories that are found in Scripture in uh, more than one of the Gospels. And you remember the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so these stories, the synoptic Gospels, are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this particular story about Jesus clearing the temple was found in all four Gospels. Now, for me that says, okay, it was so uh, impactful in the lives of the authors of these Gospels that they all recounted it. And they all wanted to talk about it. And so we're going to look at this story today. Now, first thing, I'm going to read it for us. And then we're going to back up and we're going to kind of uh, unpack it a little bit. But if you don't mind, let me read it for you first, okay? Uh, it's found in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 13. And it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He had been in Capernaum. Um, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting in tables exchanging 
money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered this, that it was written, Zeal for your father's house will consume me. And that's a quote from um, Psalm uh, 69. Um, Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all these things? All right, so let's unpack it a little bit. So where it says right here that uh, it was almost time for the Jewish uh, Passover, this kind of, it's a festival Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem hosted several feasts every year, kind of holidays. So this is Memorial Day weekend. In America, we have these celebrations that we uh, honor all together, so uh, we have President's Day, and then we have Memorial Day, and then we have Fourth of July. That's a big one, and that's going to be a big one this year. And and you have Labor Day and Thanksgiving. We have these national sort of remembrances that we have. Well, the Jewish nation had these as well. Passover reminded them of God's deliverance when the Israelites were slave slaves in Egypt. God miraculously delivered them. And so the Passover was a reminder of God's deliverance and his uh, hand on the nation of Israel. It's a really, uh, it was a huge, in fact, of all the festivals that they held, this was the biggest one. And uh, there would be travelers from all over who would journey into Jerusalem just for this particular festival. Now, uh, people knew they were coming. I mean, it was like it was a set day. They kind of, it's like Fourth of July, we know when it's going to happen. And so... Uh, the town would get prepared. In fact, they would make the roads better and they would do some beautification of Jerusalem because they knew that strangers from out of town were going to be coming. And if you owned a home in Jerusalem, you were sort of expected as a Jew to host other Jewish people who came in uh, who were traveling uh, just for um, just for this uh, uh this event. Now, what's interesting is, I mean, it was they were kind of like the Airbnbs before there were Airbnbs. And the Passover happened in spring. And there are some who believe that uh, the, the, uh, the tradition of spring cleaning actually began because of Passover. I find that kind of interesting. So, when you went to Passover, you did a couple of things. Uh, you went to the temple and you offered a sacrifice. And so it talks about uh, uh, cattle and, and sheep and, and doves. And, and so you would bring an animal and offer a sacrifice. And when you offered the sacrifice, uh, the animal would be slaughtered, uh, the blood would be captured and poured on the altar, uh, the fat of the animal would be burned, and the meat would be sent home and it would be uh, grilled and everyone would eat it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm at my house and I go outside and somebody's grilling and you smell that smell, this is the smell of Jerusalem during Passover. There, there are fires going and people are cooking. And, and I mean, I, I love the smell of, of the grill. And so let's go to verse 14. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at, uh, at tables to exchange money. Now, the reason they exchanged money, you had to also offer when you came to Jerusalem for Passover, you offered an animal sacrifice, 
And if you were Jewish male, you had to offer a temple tax. Uh, It was a half a shekel, uh, a coin. Every year this was something that you'd have to offer. Now, the text tells us that they were selling animals in the temple courts. Well, it was sort of a needed... Uh, it was it was a, it was a, a needed service if you think about it. All right, so think about it this way: I, I'm coming from a distance. I have to go all the way to Jerusalem. I don't want to have to pack an animal from there to there. I mean, it's a long trip. Uh, when I travel, even today, I try to pack as light as possible. I don't want to take more than I need. And so, to travel from there to Jerusalem and carry an animal along with you, or kind of keep up with an animal all that distance was quite difficult and so these people who were selling animals were providing a service that way I can travel without carrying the animal myself and then when I get there I have an animal to sacrifice the money changers were kind of doing the same thing they were offering a service Um, you couldn't just offer any coin as a temple tax some of the coinage in that time had pictures of false gods on it some of the coinage have like a, a face of the Caesar on it. And you couldn't offer that at the temple. And so these money changers were providing a service. They were changing what would be considered unclean money into clean money so that you could offer it in the temple. So really what they were doing was a service. They, they weren't doing particularly, specifically anything wrong. However, the problem was they were offering this service within the temple courts. And this makes sense if you know about the temple. So let's look at a picture of the temple. There were four different uh, courts in the temple. Uh, so here's kind of the most holy. This is the most holy place. Uh, only the high priest would get to go in there and only once a year at Passover, by the way. Now, uh, in this area, there would be the court of the priests. Only priests could go in there. Priests are all Jewish only the guys who were officially priests could go in to this area. Uh, just outside of that, kind of in this area, there was kind of a little courtyard. And that would be the court of Israel. And that would be just for Jewish men, only Jewish men. This court here, this area right here, that would be for, called, this is the court of women. And that would be just for Jewish women. And then this vast expanse out here, all of this area, all of this area, that would be the court of the Gentiles. Now, what's important about that is um, this temple is a picture, if you will, of God's, uh, how he feels about welcoming others in. Uh, there were God's chosen people, but there were certainly the Gentiles, and there were some who were trying to figure out how to worship God, and they really needed a place. And so the temple represented this place where they could learn about worshiping God. And there were some Gentiles who became Jews, and it was at great expense to become a, a, for, to go from being a Gentile to a Jew. There were things that were required of you. If you were a male, you had to be circumcised. Uh, male and female had to be baptized. The male and female had to offer a sacrifice. Your name would be changed. You would be given a Jewish name. Very interesting. You would actually renounce all of your family connections. If, if you were a Gentile and became a Jew, you were a Jew and you were no longer a Gentile and you renounced all of those sort 
of connections. And this outer court is where the Gentiles were trying to figure this out. They were sort of exploring God, if you will. They wanted to know about God. And they wanted to be around God. And to offer these services, uh, cattle and, and money changing out here in the court of the Gentiles, would have prohibited them from, from worshiping. The whole area was holy. It was all holy. There's the Holy of Holies, but it was all holy. And so they were defiling this very area. And what's really interesting is, you didn't just go set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. You had to have permission. Somebody had to grant you a, a sort of a, a license to do that. And so there would be people and they would be vying for these licenses. And the high priest at the time of Jesus, it was a guy named Annas. Annas would be the one who would grant these permissions to go and set up these shops, these little shops in, um, in the temple, uh, in the court of the Gentiles. And it was a racket. If, I'll, I'll tell you about it in just a second, but they, they were charging inflated prices. It reminds me of this funny story. Uh, there was this really uh, wealthy older man, and he uh, had some illness, and he started to really kind of face the issue of life and death, and, and he was nearing the end, and he went to a preacher, and he said, Preacher, I've really... I've never had any time for God, and I've never given a penny to the church. Uh, what do I need to do? And the preacher just kind of sat there, and, and the guy said, Well, if I leave everything when I die, if I leave everything to the church, would that guarantee me getting to go to heaven? Is that the way to do it? And the preacher thought for a minute, and he said, I don't think so, but it's worth a try. Uh, and so sometimes we get a little obsessed with money, and... Uh, uh, Anna seemed to be a little obsessed with money, but it went beyond that. Because if I'm from far away and I'm coming to Jerusalem and I don't have an animal to sacrifice, and I get there and the supply is limited, supply and demand, you know how this works. If the supply is limited, then I would have to pay um, an exorbitant price for this animal called pri price gouging. It's kind of like what uh, we could probably do with toilet paper right now. And, and so uh, you get there and they might charge you an exorbitant price, or um, one of the priests had to approve of the animal. They had to check it out, make sure the animal was clean. And here's, this kind of makes my blood boil, kind of makes me just really mad. But a priest would, he would kind of look at the animal that you carried all the way from where you came from, and he would say, well, this animal isn't clean, but we can sell you one of our clean animals. We'll take this one off your hands. Like, it's like uh, running a used car lot, uh, sort of. Uh, we'll take this one off your hands, and we'll sell you this clean animal. And they would do that, and it would cost the, the patrons some money. And then they would take this animal that they had just claimed was unclean, and they would put it in the clean pile, the clean flock. And they would cheat people that way. The money changers would charge unfair exchange rates. They had a captive audience. Have you ever wondered why a Snickers Mini at the airport costs $7? Because you're a captive audience, and you should have bought it on the outside, and you didn't. And now it's really, really expensive. And this is what Jesus finds in the temple. Let's go on. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and this is where we kind of think, okay, Jesus goes Incredible Hulk all of a sudden, but it's not that. Uh, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, 
get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now, I'd, I'd always thought, man, Jesus kind of goes postal. He just kind of goes nuts and he starts throwing things and scattering things. But it doesn't say that. It says he drives out the sheep and the cattle. He didn't, he didn't just scatter the sheep and the cattle. That would have made a bigger mess. That would have been more of a problem. And when it says he turns over those tables, if you've ever been to the mall, they have those kiosks. You know, people rent those and this space kind of in the walkways and, and uh, they, they set up shop on these kiosks. And when they're not there, they, they sort of put a, a curtain around it to let you know they're not open for business. So when Jesus turned the tables over, it was saying, we're not open for business here anymore. Because this, that was the court of the Gentiles. And, and, and he was there to make sure the Gentiles had an opportunity to hear about God. Now, it's a great story, but what does it mean for us? What, what can we take away from it? And I think that's a great question. So first thing, uh, number one, the, the lessons we can learn from this story is Jesus is your advocate. I, I mean, Jesus has always had sort of, uh, and, and God writes in, in the Bible, has a soft spot for people who are kind of the underdogs. He's always for the underdogs. And if you've ever felt a little bit of an outcast, like you didn't belong, that maybe God doesn't think you're good enough, don't think that at all. That While the Jews might have criticized the Gentiles who became followers of God, Jesus never did. He was longing for every... In fact, the Bible says he, he wants everyone to repent. All people to come to faith. This is his ambition for us. One of my very most favorite texts is in Hebrews, and it says, Therefore, Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Have you ever had anybody intercede for you? I mean, having somebody for you that can do something for you is a great feeling. I went to college when I was right out of high school, and uh, we went to, uh, I went to Liberty University, which is in Virginia, and there was a guy on my floor named Paul. Paul was from Canada. He was kind of rough around the edges. He was a wrestler. He liked to mix it up. He one time told me his spiritual gift was revenge. That's the kind of guy you want on your side. You want him for you and not again you, if you know what I'm saying. Paul would do stuff like, um, in these dorm rooms, and they weren't very big, we had two sets of bunk beds, and Paul would lift me up. I, I weighed a little less back then. He would lift me over his head and spin around. Uh, pr- my head was precariously close uh, to the ends of these bunk beds. He had a great time. That wasn't so much fun for me. But Paul was the guy. He was strong and tough, and he was the guy you wanted on your team. You wanted Paul as an advocate, not an adversary. So one day, uh, we had heard that McDonald's was selling hamburgers for 35 cents a piece, or a quarter a piece, some, some real cheap price. And we didn't always eat wonderfully at the cafeteria back then. And so we decided it was going to be fun for us to go to McDonald's and eat some of these hamburgers. So we went, I think we bought 10 a piece, I'm pretty sure that's right. And we, I, I don't think we ate them all at that time. Paul may have, but I didn't get all that down. But anyway, we ate all of our hamburgers, and then we're heading back out to the car. 
And while we're heading to the car, we walk past some cars in the drive through line. And somebody in one of these cars yells at me um, something uncomplimentary. It could have been, perhaps, because I had my collar flipped up. I mean, I was a dandy. What can I say? And, and so he said something to me that was unprovoked, frankly, but also unflattering. And uh, I responded, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I'm pretty sure uh, it wasn't something I could do now as a pastor. And they didn't take kindly to my response to their, uh, their jab at me. And so they started to chase us. So I'm in my car, I get in my car, they start to chase us. And Paul's in the car with me, and they chase us a little bit. Well, come to find out, they were also students at our university. So eventually Paul says, let's just park, I'm going to take care of this. Remember, Paul's the guy you want as an advocate, not an adversary. And so Paul gets out of the car, he goes over to the four guys in the other car, two of us, four of them, he goes to the four guys, you know, I stayed at the car because I'm, uh, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And Paul goes over to their car, and he says, it was, like, it was like watching Clint Eastwood. It was awesome. He said, you got a problem? Oh, he said it like a man, though. You got a problem? I mean, it was, it was a man thing. And, and uh, the guy that was kind of leading their little group, he said, we don't have a problem with you. And then he kind of leaned over. We got a problem with him. Well, him was me. Now, at that moment, my blood ran a little cold. Uh, I was a little bit uh, frightened because I knew there was no chance. Four-on-one, I had no chance. Actually, one-on-one, I had no chance. I had no chance. Paul said something as my advocate that I will never forget. Paul said, you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me. We all need an advocate in our lives like that. And I love that text. Jesus, he longs to be our advocate. Uh, the Bible constantly talks about uh, God cheering for the underdog. Look at what it says here in Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. You know what that means? It means to treat people right. To treat all people right. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And in the New Testament talks a lot about treating widows and orphans fairly. And making sure they're taken care of. And when Jesus starts to herd out the animals, and he turns over the tables, and he says, out of business. Uh, it says in verse 17, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. It, it was a holy place. And, and Jesus wanted to make sure it stayed a holy place. Where people who... Uh, Jewish people were kind of already in with God. But what about people like us, Gentiles, who weren't? He wanted to make sure God was available for everybody. And that's why he did what he did. The second thing that we can learn from this is that our temple can get cluttered. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we are called temples, and that's really kind of cool if you think about it. Now, there's a show on television called Hoarders, and they'll show scenes like this, and people who are hoarders, they collect stuff, and they collect lots of stuff, and they never get rid of stuff. And so sometimes, like this scene, it's clothes. 
Sometimes it's pizza boxes or it can be mounds of, of newspapers. It can be lots of different things. And here's the thing about hoarders. I have never heard any of them say, you know, I set out to be a hoarder. When I was a little kid, I thought, man, I'd like to be a hoarder someday. Nobody ever says that because nobody sets out to be a hoarder. Here, here's the thing about clutter. Clutter creeps. It creeps in. And clutter can creep into our lives. And before you know it, we are distracted with stuff that really is unimportant when we need to be focused on our relationship with the Lord. It's really, really easy for that to happen. And so God wants our relationship to Him to be paramount, to be top on the list, and, and, and we're not to have anything in the way. And sometimes stuff sort of kind of sneaks in, kind of uh, kind of creeps into our lives, and before you know it, we've got some things that are keeping us from having a great relationship with the Lord. It can be big things like envy or lust, there, there's stuff like that. It can be a grudge and somebody did you wrong and you just can't get over that. That kind of thing is just eating at you. And the result is it, it impedes our relationship with the Lord. The problem with the temple when they had these money changers out in here and we had these uh, people who selling animals out in here, the problem was it impeded the function of those courts, of that particular court. That was to be a holy place where people could find the Lord. And what happens with us is when we get cluttered and when stuff starts to get in the way, uh, we can't have the relationship with the Lord that we need to. And you remember, don't you, that, that these things, they were offering services. It was a good service to offer animals if they did it fairly. It was a good service to offer the exchange of money if they did it fairly. Your thing that has gotten in the way between you and your relationship with the Lord, it might not be a bad thing. Maybe you're ambitious in business. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious in business as long as it doesn't get in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's a hobby and you've gotten to where this hobby has kind of overtaken you. For some parents, it can be their kids. The obsession with their kids becomes the top thing in their lives rather than their relationship with God. It can be a relationship with another person. It can be something good that just sort of gets bigger than it needs to because clutter creeps and sometimes we need to cleanse our temple. Which brings me to the third point. Jesus cleans cluttered temples. There's nothing that the Lord wants more than for our relationship to be right. But we have an obligation to work on it. We have to be, we're responsible to make sure that, that we are doing everything we can to keep the clutter down. And, and sometimes we need Jesus to, just to come and show us. There's a couple of verses in the 139th Psalm that I really like because these are kind of, hey, God, cleanse me verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If we would honestly pray this, God would, uh, Jesus would come and, and sort of clean out the clutter. 
If I was walking in my neighborhood, and we walk pretty much every night around my neighborhood, and if I were walking around my neighborhood and I were to see one of my neighbors have their garage door up and there's a lot of clutter in there, and I knew I could take care of it, would any of you, would you, would you go do that? I, I wouldn't go do that because I haven't been given permission to do that. The, the verses that we just read, those are permission-giving verses. Hey, Jesus, come and clean this out for me because I can't do it myself, and I need you to point out some things that need to be taken care of. And don't do this unless you're serious, but if you're serious, the Lord will help you with this. He'll help you. Now, uh, our last verse in this story. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Um, This is an interesting take on this to me. You know, everybody has authority in their lives. We all have authority. Um, I heard a really kind of a funny story. It was about a guy, he was before the judge, and he had been charged with not obeying a direct order from a police officer. And so the judge said, okay, why didn't you obey the direct order of the police officer? And the guy said, well, it's like this, judge. My wife told me to meet her at a certain time, at a certain place, the exact time and the exact place. And I was standing there waiting for my wife, and the police officer told me to move along. And I had to choose between man's law and wife's law, and I chose wife's law. And the judge let him go because he was also married, and sometimes you have to figure out who is the ultimate authority in your life. So these guys are asking the question, what I think is really interesting, look at it again. Uh, They say, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us. They're, they didn't say, we're, we're, doing, we're, we're not doing anything wrong. They didn't say that at all. They, they didn't even say, uh, well, the reason we're doing it is, they didn't make an excuse. Uh, they didn't even object to Jesus kind of cleansing the temple. They just said, who are you to tell us what to do? H- have you ever had somebody point out a mistake you've made? It's kind of uncomfortable and awkward. And I began to think about this. Okay, so if you were mowing your yard, or let's, I'll just use me. I'm mowing my yard one day, I'm, I'm mowing, and, and somebody walks by and he, he tells me to stop, and he says to me, you're not using that mower correctly. Well, my immediate response would be, and I would try to be as polite as possible, but as politely as possible, I would say, who are you to tell me how to use my mower? I've been using this mower a long time, I know how to use my mower you can't tell me how to use my mower. I think most of us would kind of have that response. But it would change if the guy had a name tag on and it said John Deere. Because if the guy who designed the mower was telling me that there was a better way to use the mower, now I'm really going to listen, right? If the guy who designs the mower is going to tell me how to use the mower, I'm going to listen. And the guy who designed my life wants to tell me how to live my life, I probably should listen. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The Lord knows how we're designed, what we're designed for. And so, when we're asking Him to declutter us, what we're saying is, how can I get the best use of my life? How can I be most productive? Lord, what do you want me to do to be the most productive me 
I can be. Let's go back to our verse just a second ago from the 139th Psalm. I've highlighted some words that really say this is what it feels like. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If we would seriously pray that. In fact, this is a verse we might need to memorize because this is one that if I apply it to my life, it can change everything. And I want to make one last point, and I want to make it really, really quickly. But Jesus not only cleans cluttered temples, He does it patiently. The Bible tells us love is patience. God is incredibly patient with us. And Jesus, your advocate and my advocate, He is for us. And there might be a lot of people against us, just like you know, the Jews were kind of against the Gentiles, becoming proselytes and all that kind of stuff. God is for you. Jesus is your advocate. He is making intercession for us, it says, at the right hand of God, even today. Jesus, the one who is patient with us, wants to clean out the clutter in our temple. And so the the last question that we're going to ask, and the the way we're going to end today is, do you need Jesus to declutter your temple? Is there anything in your life? And and maybe when I was talking about this, you were saying, oh man, that's... That's me. There's some stuff that's getting in between me and the Lord. Or I've really never made that commitment, but I really need to get there. Then I I want to invite you. Following Jesus is about saying, Lord, I I need you to forgive me. And I also want you to lead me. I need you to forgive me. I want you to lead me. I want you to show me what to do. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll I'll make a mistake. Maybe not you, but I make mistakes. And I'm always frustrated with myself when I make a mistake. And I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. I don't know why I do that. I love his patience. That's why I ended with his patience. Because my experience with Jesus has always been incredibly patient. He, he's patient with me. And while I'm not always patient with others, he's always patient with us. And so maybe... You've never made a commitment. You've never said, Lord, I need your forgiveness and I want your guidance. And you could do that. It's, it, that's all you, you just say to the Lord. Lord, I, please forgive me and come into my life and guide me. And there might be somebody here today or listening today who would say, you know, he, he has come into my life. He's forgiven me and he has guided me, but I've let some clutter get in the way. And there's some stuff impeding our relationship and And that clutter just kind of crept in, and I need to declutter, and I want Jesus to declutter. And that prayer is real simple as well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, show me, reveal to me. Lord, show me the stuff I need to clear away so we can have the right relationship that we want to have. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all you do for us. And we're so glad that your patience is amazing, and your Ability to love us is amazing, and I pray that we would, we would have the relationship with you that we want and that you want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.